Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. All right. Welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Rick Morton along with Phil Dark. Phil, how are you, buddy? Doing really well. Doing really well. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a crazy uh, couple weeks to start the new year. Been uh, able to spend some time with family, get some work done. You know, it's it's always a quiet time um, from the standpoint <laughs> of you know the the holidays have kind of you know slowed down. Obviously, they're over, but um, you know, and then it just it gets a little crazy pretty quickly, though. You know. Um, so I know that's been the case for you. So what, what, what have you been up to in the last, uh, you know, last few weeks since we last recorded? Man. So we, uh, we had a great, uh, you know, great holiday season. We, uh, we had the privilege of having a, uh, a stomach virus come visit our house, our home right after uh, Christmas. So that kind of gave us a little self-imposed exile. We got a little time away. And then, uh, and then we, uh, yeah, right. Like don't really recommend it. We won't send it to you folks, no matter what you, uh, how much, how hard you beg. Um, and then, uh, you know, jumped right into the beginning of the year and actually, uh, have, uh, had a, a great week this past week hanging out with a guy that we're going to be having on the podcast here soon. Uh, got an interview with Javier Vargas. Uh, Javier is a, is an orphan care, uh, an adoption advocate from Puerto Rico. He's the president of Adoptando in in Puerto Rico, and uh, and the Ministry of Adoptando is uh, they're they're working in uh, adoption on the island, but also um, uh, in the process of building a, a child rehabilitation center um, to to work with kids that are coming from hard places and uh, great desire to, to begin to work in uh, kids that are aging out in the foster care system in Puerto Rico. So we'll we'll talk a little bit. They've got a great story, he and his family, and just the way the Lord brought them to all this. And uh, he's, uh, he's fast turning into one of my favorite people on the planet. And so right. I'm looking forward to... Uh, to sharing him with you guys in a couple of weeks. How about you? What's going on, man? I just hope that you're just going to oblah with him the whole time. Are you going to, are you going to do that for us? You you know, my Spanish is so bad. Like we've laughed, we laughed when we were together about how bad my Spanish is. Um, And so I really can't order in a Taco Bell. Well, much less carry on a podcast. Um, But, you know, we'll leave that to, uh, to Aisha and David McCormick and those that are, uh, you know, that are the professionals in, uh, in Spanish language orphan care. Si yo puedo hablar <laughs> español. Yeah. You know, so that, that yo, was something I just threw down yo, right there. That yo was quiero Spanish. Taco Bell. Yeah. Yeah. Yo quiero okay. Taco Bell. That's all I got. I got man. it. I got it. I got it. That's all right. You know, that's okay. Cause we are not a Spanish, uh, podcast <laughs> at this point. Um, and I don't foresee you and I doing that at any point. Um, but you never know, you know, you know, Thing, stranger things have happened in the world. Not much stranger, but you never know. So, you know, what have I been up to? We've been uh, doing, like I said, I had some great family time over over Christmas and the New Year. Fortunately, we did not have any stomach viruses. We had some colds, and I still have a little bit of congestion going on, if you can tell out there. Um, but uh, nothing major to knock us out or anything, which was which was really good because we did have some good sweet time playing some games. My wife bought uh, the original versions of the Game of Life 
and payday. So that was some wow. serious fun with the kids and some good life lessons because you know what the newest games and they they change them all up they they kind of take away the a lot of the life lessons that we learned like that salaries weren't nearly as big back in 1975 and houses cost 15 to 20 thousand dollars depending on which you know what you landed on so you know those were some pretty cool things that uh we actually had a blast with our with our youngest kids in particular um and none of I kind of feel like if there's anybody that I know that's going to win at the game of life, it's Phil Dark. So I uh, typically did not. I typically did not. <laughs> and the, but the cool thing about it, the best thing, the best win, was that there were no boards overturned in any of those games. It, you know, no cards were flying. No, you know, nothing was thrown at anybody. You know, there was some frustration, but you know, it was it was pretty pretty smooth sailing, which was pretty cool. So that was that was great. And then. From a, from a Providence side of things, man, we're working on some curriculum. Actually, our guest today, which I'm not going not gonna to spoil anything at this point, but she's working with us um, on uh, some curriculum development uh, that we're going to be able to get out there to help organizations with their organizational development and leadership development as well as collaborative best practices, which we talk about on this show. And I'm so excited for that. We're not ready to roll it out quite yet but we're working on that and that's a lot going on behind the scenes there so super exciting stuff another thing i'm really excited about is we're put trying to put a little bit more uh content out there on the on the facebook page and so if you go there there's some articles there we just we just posted an article last uh, last week it's probably be a couple weeks ago um once this uh once this airs but uh just go there Check it out. You can you can be able to get some of the news and some of the articles that are written on these things that we're talking about, you know. And they'll they'll often come up in the uh, in the uh, conversations we're having with other people and that Rick and I have on the show. The other thing that we put on Facebook, which we're now going to share. I realize this is episode four of the new season, but we want to let you know that we're now by now you know this, but uh, we're we're now releasing episodes every two weeks rather than every week. We want to give you guys more time to engage and digest the materials, and communicate with us and and, com- and converse with us via Facebook or via emails to us info at thinkorphan.com. You know you can do it at the website too in the comments of the different of the different episodes. So. We really, really want you to engage this podcast. We also want you to rate and review it because that helps get it out to other people who can benefit from it. So anything else, Rick, before we get into this interview? No, man, I'm really excited about our guest and the opportunity for us to, to talk a little bit about her. And, and it's really, you know, we're working with her as well. And so yeah. that's kind of fun. And I think it says something about um, the, the, the person and her heart in the fact that you and I both are collaborating with her on different projects at the same time. Absolutely. So, folks, without you know any more suspense, of course, you already know who it is because you've clicked on the link at some point to see who this is. But uh, Ruby Johnston, who Rick and I actually talked about a couple episodes ago, she's an amazing woman doing some amazing things, and she's been doing it for a long time. And she is absolutely the real deal. She's the co-founder and director of International Field Operations for LAM International. She's also an executive team member for World Without Orphans. And she's just, quite frankly, one of the, one of the you know, just the most fantastic women that I, that I know. And so uh, without more from us, I want you guys to listen and really learn from this interview with Ruby Johnston. Well, Ruby, it is so good to have you on the Think Orphan podcast. 
Well, it's great to be here, Phil. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm excited because I know I've gotten to know you a little bit over the, the last few years, but uh, I know a lot of our, our uh, audience probably doesn't know much about you. So I would love to uh, just have you give them a little bit of uh, your story and how you got to be where you are today in your work with orphan and vulnerable children. Well, well, the story is uh, is kind of a complex story, but it's um, it's a long story. But I'll make it really short. Essentially, I think my journey started when I um, decided to be my husband. And I decided to be foster parents two years ago, and through foster parenting, one of the things we discovered our county essentially was uh, not doing a lot of services for foster parents. In fact, I had to sign a document that said I would never adopt. And uh, also, I was told that I wasn't allowed to talk to other foster parents. Well, needless to say, that was really very difficult. And through the course of time, it became real apparent that foster parents need to talk to each other. We, um, with the children, 23 hours, and the social worker, one hour, we had a lot of things that we could share to be helping one another. As a result of that, I started the first foster parent association in our county and uh, so that we could meet together and talk together and went on to adopt, even though I had signed that we weren't going to adopt. And, uh, so that started the journey. And I eventually took a role as a, uh, in, as a director in Child Welfare Agency. And um, that was the journey of work. From there, it just grew and moved on into now we're retired and we do it in a humanitarian focus of traveling all over the world and training others who are working with orphans and vulnerable. Yeah, so in in what you're doing, you know, that's that's always it's always fun to me for, for me to hear hear the stories, but you know how it's brought you to actually be spending virtually, you know, every day of the year almost. Um uh, training other organizations and helping other organizations and you know how did how did you you know find that that was really what God called you to do and and uh, you know what are the trainings that you're actually being able to do with the orphan care organizations out there well that, that journey as well is, is one that uh, it developed as a result of need and seeing some of the things that were need and then trying to find a way to meet that need when I as the director of the agency and went to hire young people and our people to be staff, I realized that at that time, there weren't people who were prepared to work with orphans or vulnerable children or foster care and adoption. So I went on a journey to learn and to develop my own staff as I would hire people. And um, that ended up being a journey that took me into the Institute for Human Services, which is a dynamic um, national entity uh, in the area of child welfare. So from there, I was able to be involved developing curricula, training trainers, actually helping to develop child welfare training systems across the United States and Canada. And that journey of training and being a consultant and the more of the organizational kind of the systems um, side of it with training of trainers really was um, the preparation. I always have to laugh. It's the preparation for what God really had in mind for my purpose and my husband's purpose. And that is at retirement is to, you know, to move out into the nations and train trainers, right. help them and equip them using the Ephesians 412 um, 
command is that, you know, we're really out there to nurture and prepare, you know, all the believers to do their own works um, and to enlarge the the kingdom at the pro- in the process. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that, you know, I know you and I have talked about and I talk a lot with about with a lot of people is, you know, the ideal here is for us to be able to equip others to really train in their own cultures and their own language. Um, you know, and why, why is that so important? Well, really, when you look at what's happening around the world, people are absolutely around the world passionate. The church is stepping up. NGOs are stepping up to do something about those that are vulnerable within their community. The problem is, is that you can have a heart of passion to do something. But if you don't understand the dynamics of children who come from a hard place and how they have to be parented differently, they need to be um, uh, approached differently and thinking differently in terms of why they might be behaving the way they are, etc., they need to learn. And part of that is the, the lack of training that's available and then recognizing that as we uh, look every day at the research search and what's happening, there's more and more information that's going to be helpful. We all need to be learning constantly. So our passion is to get the word out there, to take what we know, what is evidence-based, what people have researched and learn, have learned about how to care for orphans and vulnerable children, and, and pass that word on so that we can be equipped. Not just that we have passion, but equipped with passion. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think you and I both have seen a lot of people that, you know, really do have a mat, you know, a huge passion for this work, but really just don't know how to do the things. And, you know, sometimes, most of the time, they really don't have a problem. The people that are doing this work don't have a problem with the why side of things, but it's that how, which is, which is what you're really able to do, what, you know, we're trying to do not only through this podcast, but through some other training. Um, and, you know, we've talked about that too, as we talk about training and even that term, you know, a lot of people love to go to trainings. But as you're talking about, it's really equipping and building capacity. And what, what's the difference there? Well, thank you for asking that question, because that's a real confusing question that I hear uh, people try to process and answer all the time. Um, really, and we're looking at uh, the approach that we're looking at is that it's capacity building. And it's not just an event. You know, a training is like an event. It's like an ice cream social. You know, you, you choose the flavor of the month. You make it available for everybody. People come. They go back and they've had a nice flavor. But what is it? It's just an event. It's just a, an ice cream cone that's, you know, that's already gone and you move on. But what training really needs to be is it needs to be under the umbrella capacity building. So that training is always doing environmental assessment. It's always looking at what are the questions people are ans- asking and how might those questions best be answered. The training that's being trained, is it training that's needed? Are, do you have the right people there? Do you have the right information? And then do you have the right supports to support the transfer of learning when they go back into the workplace or back into their church and actually begin to work with children and, and or families in crisis? So capacity building is not just training. Capacity building is organizational development, systems development, and at the same time, it's creating a sustainable way of ensuring that those persons that are coming can have something that they take back and transfer, and then a follow-up to that transfer to ensure that is, is happening or help them where they may need help to make it happen. 
And and you're you're doing this work, and it, most of it's in person. Is that is that right, or is 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 this work work you're able to do via video? And in, you know, there's people all over the world, obviously, doing this, listening to this podcast. And I just want them we're to not be doing to... any work right now during video. We do we do Skype calls, and we do um, some online work with individuals, especially trainers in other countries. We aren't um, right at this time doing any video work. And, and essentially, the need and the desire for that kind of video work is there. It's just a matter of capacity. It's a capacity issue on our part. Yeah, right. You know, and I think that that's something that we're all we're all working. Hopefully, we can figure out ways to do more of that. But, you know, you and I both know, though, that some of the some of the training really isn't conducive to the to the video, but but some of it is. And so the hope is that, uh, you know, the folks out there, you know, I'm hopefully encouraging the listeners out there who are in places that might not be able to get to conferences, might not be able to get to, to this. But as you hear Ruby talking, I very encourage uh, encourage you to contact her. Um, and, you know, if, if you're really wanting to hear or wanting some of this training from her and, and Lynn, her, her husband, is there out in the world just to find out where they're going to be and if you can somehow get in get in touch with them to be able to, to hear some of the training they have. And even if you can't um, get that training, I know that uh, Ruby will hopefully be able to connect you with those people in your areas who might be able to do some of the training themselves. But, you know, on that note, you know, how can people connect with you to find out, you know, how they can learn from you and, and, and uh, maybe even go to a training that you're going to be doing? Well, the best is to just give us an email, and the email is quite simple. It's lamb, like in the sheep, lambinternational at gmail.com. And we would be more than happy to um, respond back, answer questions, and look at uh, even sending some of the schedule information that uh, would give persons an idea where we're going to be, and uh, they might be able to link up that way. We're we are out uh, a lot. We were actually back in our home uh, 38 nights only last year, <laughs> so we're on the road all the time, and uh, that's what God's called us to do. You know, is to be to be busy, 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 and yeah. train others and equip them. Absolutely, and so you know, and I also know one other thing that you, that uh, you and I talked a lot about and we heard a lot about a couple months ago is the world without orphans uh roadmap that's that's come out and can you just tell i know you worked a lot on that but just uh tell our our uh, listeners just really what that is and how they can find out more information about that that's an incredible tool that um, was developed specifically to help our global community in the world without orphans to help them grow and to move their movement forward as they desire. And the roadmap now is available and you can go online, www.org and um, look it up and get some information that's going to be so helpful in anything you're doing and working with crisis families, working with children who are from a hard place. Roadmap has tools, it has videos, it has uh, training. Uh, there are actually even training curricula. There's one on trauma, there's a, another on working with crisis families, the life skills. 
there are many things there that are tools that people can download and be able to use right away. So I really encourage the community listening to access that. It's a wonderful way to start, to start building awareness, to begin to identify where in the process of cognition are you and where would be your next step and what to do. It's a great tool for that. Yeah, I agree, and we definitely will have that on the uh, on the show notes. Just that that link to that roadmap, and it, it really is. It's kind of a choose your own adventure type roadmap as well, where you can kind of share where you're where you're coming from, what type of of uh, organization or individual you are, and then what you're looking to do, and so on. It'll give you great resources, and so it's it's something that I I really really recommend out there for for anyone listening to this podcast. You definitely want to engage that and see how it can encourage and and hopefully guide and and lead you so uh with that i just want to turn kind of shift gears a little bit and, and talk with you just about with your experience you know and you've been working in connection one way or the other with the orphan care movement for for a while now and how have you seen it kind of change over the you know course of the time that you've been working with uh, orphan and vulnerable children you know the biggest change has been the understanding of Um, two different areas, the impact that growing up in an orphanage has on the development, the whole, the whole development of a child and the negative impact that it has. And the other big change that I've seen has just been the overwhelming understanding of how we can do a lot of harm where we thought in the past we were doing good in just pouring people into orphanages and loving on children and spending time with them. So really within the movement, family-based care, looking at how we look at orphanages and and moving and re-engineering those orphanages to be more family-based and moving them into um, really the new evidence that we have. And then of course, looking at missions, short-term missions, people that are going in and how to do smart missions. This huge change that's happened and it's exciting. And I have to say, I've made the same mistakes everybody else has made. Mm-hmm. You know, we've grown develop- developmentally to where we are. And um, it's it's all good. It's yeah. all good. Yeah, absolutely. And so with that, you know, you said something there that I think is really important to really hear for all of us is, you know, we've made the same mistakes, right? I mean, I have too. And pretty much everyone that's in this space, it's not like you just woke up, you know, as a, a kid and knew how to do all mm-hmm. these things, right? So how would you encourage, you know, me and encourage others out there to really speak that truth into people who might not otherwise know it and but have a heart to help? When you look at family and go back into your own heart and what family means to you, recognizing not all of us grew up in healthy families. But there's still within the heart of every one of us that desire to be connected to people that have meaning in our lives and have had meaning in our lives. That I think is the place where we start. When we can help people look at within themselves of what their heart's desire is for family, it also helps them to move forward in looking at what is family for a child who comes from a hard place, who's not had family, grown up really being not with anyone tucking them into bed at night. So I would see that when we get the message across, then people are ready to hear the message of family-based care and how we move closer and closer to that within the programs that we're working in. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's something that I I try to start with as well is, you know, just think about it as what you're doing in your home if they have families and if their parents is, you know, you're part of the orphan prevention, right? You know, and to kind of put them into the mm-hmm. into the on the playing field for for lack of a better term, right? And then they see themselves as part of it. Um and I, I think that, that that's something I know that that hit me when I when I started is, you know, what what would happen if my wife and I and something happened happened to us and then what, you know? And so I think that, that I think that's a fantastic, fantastic place to start. And I think it's really, you know, if you can't connect at that heart level um, with people, I, I don't, I don't think we have much of a chance for them to engage us much further, um, you know, in, in really understanding these issues, at least I don't know that they'll be able to in a lasting way. And then the head um, conversations are much easier once you connect on that heart level. Do you, do you agree with that as far as your, your experience? Absolutely. 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 We see it again and again that people can come in and maybe not have a lot of information and have um, preconceived ideas and ideas from the past. But once you really get it to the personal level and the heart level, start walking through it and really look at, you know, those cold little nights when a child's climbing into a bed when there's 40 in the same room and then begin to understand what the cry of that child is, is that will somebody love me and will somebody be there for me and who's going to who's really who's going to be there who's going to invite them to their holiday table and it's not an orphanage it's not a shelter it's not a building it's a it's a person right so with that you know what what would you say is kind of one or two of the biggest issues that we are facing today you know as we seek to care for orphan and vulnerable children with excellence Oh, my. I don't even know how to answer that. Uh, one or two big challenges. I think it, it's such a big challenge, but I, I like to look at it in terms of where the solution is. And I know that a lot of people try to put it on government. This is not a government problem. It's, 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 it's a church problem. It's, it's our issue to step forward. I think the solution to the problem is that if each of our churches would step forward and begin to look at the call of James 127. We could empty orphanages and we could take within the states in the United States, the provinces in Canada, and we could see that every child has a family. And even globally, that's the answer. So I, rather than see the biggest problem, I think I see it as the solution is that we just as a church need to step forward. Yeah. Yeah, so I would say, you know, that uh, that is, you know, one of the biggest issues, and I agree, is is how do we engage the church and how do we really not just engage them, but engage them in a way that they really understand and are part of that solution rather than potentially being a hurdle in in the way of us getting some of this stuff done. Would you, you know, is that is that kind of what you're getting at? That's what I'm getting at. And yeah. it's looking at bringing forth the understanding of the role of yeah. the church, but then also recognizing that you can't just step out and do it until you're equipped. So it's equipping exactly right along right. with the same. That's exactly right. And that, that I talk about that all the time with, with people about it is, you know, equipping the church um, globally to really understand not only the why, but the, the how and the, you know, the what and the how about all of it is essential to getting this to getting this, you know, to move in the needle forward toward, toward getting these kids in the family. So, 
Um, I'm glad that you're confirming that because, you know, I say it and I don't have nearly as much, you know, credibility as you do. So that's fantastic that you can, you know, you can support me on that. <laughs> so, um, well, it's exciting, Phil. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, with that, you know, there's, there's a couple last questions that we ask everybody. And the, and the first of those questions is, you know, what have you read, listened to and or watched that has most impacted your thinking about how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? You know, everything I read and listen to just really encourages me to go on, but will help in terms of looking at what others even might find that's going to be really helpful for them as well, uh, would be to look at all the evidence and all that's being done right now on the brain and brain development. When we begin to look at children who've come from a hard place, we can look at them differently, not through the lens anymore of good and bad behavior, but of looking at what has happened to you. One of the things that has hit me really hard in my journey of learning, Phil, has been just that very issue. And also looking at children anymore and saying, you know what, your, your behavior is not bad behavior. It's the language of your pain. It's the language of you having gone through different events that have been very difficult for you. That's your language. Mm. Yeah, that's no. I think that the, all that brain, the brain research, the brain studies. We've had a few people on the show, Kurt Thompson and Caroline Leaf, and a few others who have, who have talked mm-hmm. about that very thing, and it, it's absolutely critical. And, and I think it's it's actually very very encouraging, especially the last few years. A lot of the brain research that's been done, very encouraging. That if you know, as we love these children, as we really pour into them in ways that are the life giving, that the the plasticity of the brain, those conversations are just. They're very encouraging to me, and I, I assume the same for you. Um. Absolutely, absolutely. And and for those that we're training, it's sort of like it's a light bulb that goes off and gives them a, a different look and how they're going to approach a child. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is, uh, that's that's super encouraging to me. And, and it's the last question that we have here is, what, you know, what person has most impacted your thinking you know, it could be a group of people as well about how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence. You know, that person has to be Judy Rikus. And uh, Judy Rikus is the founder of the Institute for Human Services in Ohio. And it's a national entity to develop um, high quality child welfare training that is being used through the child protection services of all across the United mm. States and Canada and even around the world. Um, just to continually be in a think tank and to be studying research of what is really the evidence-based information and knowledge that we need to be sharing and skills to be teaching. Um, She's definitely my hero. Wow. Well, Ruby, thank you so much. You know, there's so much more we could talk about and we could talk hours and hours um, about these different things. And I know you have trainings that go on, you know, and are hours and hours um, that are incredible trainings that you're doing. So, um, you know, for the fear of going on and on in, in, in this interview, I didn't go into the specifics of those uh, trainings, but trust, trust me, folks, they are, if you have a chance to be um, encouraged and, and built into by what Ruby's doing, I strongly encourage you to be able to do that, whether it's at a conference or if she is doing trainings in your area. So thank you, Ruby, for all you're doing. Thank you for your time uh, today on this interview. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, and God bless you and all you're doing. 
thank you again, Ruby. Uh, you know, Rick, I, I am just continually blown, blown away by her humility. Um, similar like when Mike Doris in his interview, just these, these folks who have been doing <laughs> it for a really long time, they tend to have the most humility about it. And I think that that goes to what you and I have talked about quite a bit on this show, which is the more we learn, the more we know we don't know that much. Um, and with that also is just this humility to know that God's going to give us the, the discernment and wisdom and we, we just can't take credit for it. And, you know, I can tell you as I was interviewing her, you know, before the interview, she's like, yeah, I just don't, I just don't like these things. I don't like these interviews. I don't like talking about myself. I don't like, (laughs) you know, and, and I just don't think I have that much to add to the people out there, you know, and I'm I'm just laughing because I'm just like, this is a woman who we both know has so much to, you know just so much wisdom to share with us. So what did you think about the interview, Rick? Yeah, well, man, I love Ruby. And uh, and she is she's one of those people from, you know, from the very first meeting. I remember meeting her, um, you know, some years ago. We actually spoke at a conference together in South Africa. And that was, I knew her, knew her name, knew her by reputation, knew Lamb. But that was my first time to, to meet her around a lunch table as jet lagged as two human beings I think have ever been, and uh, and and I was man, I was just so impressed that here's here's this person that God has placed into into places where um, she's done amazing work, you know, writing social work standards and writing training protocols for states and Canadian provinces, and Ruby would never you know, brag about those things or wear those things on her sleeve. But, um, but there is, there's, there's just a grace and a humility and, and a, and a very down to earth spirit. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, when, when I think about her and, and her husband, Lynn, and what they are sacrificing and giving, uh, for the kingdom and for kingdom work, um, it's, it's just, it's incredible. You know, they, they are two people who have decided uh, and purposed in their hearts that they are going to, they're going to live the fourth quarter well. Yep. And, and so um, they are quick to give away what they have and to share um, those things that, that really, you know, that, that Ruby has been able to build um, just, I mean, I don't think we can overemphasize the amount of work that she's done and the quality of that work, the, you know, the peer reviewed nature of the things that she's put together, the evidence base in, um, in the, in, in the trainings and the work that she's put together, like it's, it's proven at a level that, that most of us in this sector struggle to have, you know, things of of that kind of substance. And, and they are readily giving it away to, to ministries who will agree that they will build capacity in others and, and that they will, they will spread um, the, the use of these things for, for kingdom good. And, and I, you know, I, I think you and I talk all the time on this podcast about collaboration. Um, she perhaps is the greatest example that I know of, of open-handedness and collaboration and, and and the fact that um, th- that that she is she is literally leveraging her life 
um, you know, for for the good in in that uh, in that regard. You know, I think she Ruby told me recently we were talking uh, in in preparation to uh, for a project that we're working on. Lifeline is working on collaboratively with Lamb and uh, and and that they're helping us with. And I think last year she and Lynn um, spent less than sixty days at home out of their entire year. They spent more than three hundred days on the road. Most of them somewhere. Uh, out of the U.S. and out of Canada, they're outside of, outside of North America, um, serving uh, you know serving the, the the body of Christ and and building capacity in those who who love Jesus to care for orphans and uh, so they're just great friends and and people that uh, that I really look up to as heroes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think one of the things that a story that just kind of shares her heart is. After our interview, you know, so many people, you know, I mean, most people on this show, they're not like doing an interview going, oh, I can't wait to just get my name out there, blah, blah, blah. But right after our interview, she goes, okay, now, now for the good stuff. Now I want to know what's going on with you. Now I want to know what's going on with, with what, what's the, you know, how is the training curriculum that you're developing? How's that going? I I just really want to find out, you know, all the details. Tell me all the details. It was like immediately after the interview. It was so funny. It was like they pushed stop, and then she just kind of asked that. And, and then we talked about it for a while, and as I said right before the interview, now she is. She just said, I want to help in any way I can. And I said, all right, you know, I'll take you up on that. You know, you know be careful what you ask. Or be careful what you offer. You know, I'll take you up on it. Um, know that, folks, out there, if you ever offer, like, hey, if you ever want to come stay at my house, I probably will at some point in my life, just with my, with <laughs> my, my entire family. So just be careful to offer that. My wife will tell you as well. She gets mad at me sometimes when I take people up on their offer. But... It's always a fun time with the darks. I'm just going to tell you that right now, too. But with, hmm. uh, with Ruby, she immediately, I just said, okay, let, and I connected her with, the, with one of the guys who's, who's, help, who's working to develop curriculum, and, and they're now, she's now helping him. And she goes, I don't, I don't want to train on it right now because i got too much going on in that regard. But, uh, but I definitely want to help as much as I can. And she means it, and she's doing it. And it's just so so refreshing in a world that often doesn't do that and, and as you said she's finishing well and in you know uh, the one question i have is at what point does a home cease being a home if you're not there but, but 30 40 days a, a year so um <laughs> i think because i kind of just says like you know, no place to really lay your head you know it's like it's just you just kind of you just you're going where God leads and that's, it's just a beautiful thing. So, so a little, kind of a couple specifics I want to talk with you about, you know, we, we, she talked in the interview about the, uh, the idea of the difference between just training and capacity building and equipping, you know, and I know this is something that we as an organization are taking very seriously because trainings are typically one off one day, two day, three day things. Maybe you go to a conference, you go to a seminar, you do a workshop, whatever you walk away and you may never actually apply those things to what you're doing, you know, and equipping and capacity building is long term. It's developmental. It's not the, the quick in and out. It's, it's, it's really walking alongside and, you know, more akin to discipling where it's really a doing life with in different ways, you know, and, and there, you know, it can be done in different modules, 10, 12 week type things, but it's really walking alongside. Um, how are you guys doing that? And how are you, as you're successful, as you talked about Javier earlier in the, in the show, and we're going to be hearing more from him as you, as you have these relationships in Columbia, as you're doing different things around the world, how are you guys building capacity and equipping rather than just doing one-off trainings? Yeah. So, you know, for a long time, I, I mean, I'll be honest, Phil, we, you know, we were like a lot of people 
in the fact that we, you know, a lot of our training was uh, directly to the end user, right? And so we're, um, but but we we have really grown um, in our the the term we use uh, is uh, train the trainer. Mm-hmm. Like our our focus is on is on equipping those who who will equip others and will you know will multiply that training over over a long period of time. I think the other thing too is is to realize that um, that that you really begin to to figure out that the the best strategy is consistent long term investment into into those people. Mm-hmm. That the the one offs and the couple of days of training or the week here without follow up is is really just not you know terribly helpful or terribly effective for anybody. And so you know what we're doing is 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 we're really zeroing in on training those trainers, but we're we're looking at multiple opportunities and multiple inputs with the same trainers to you know to build. And and I think that's where you see a lot of a lot of capacity building is that that when you're when you're building and adding over time and you're making you know that long term investment um, that's that's where you're really gonna you know that's where you're ultimately gonna see the dividends and and I think we're you know we've learned a lot from Lamb we continue to learn a lot from them in in the way that you know that Ruby and her colleagues have that type of you know that type of training philosophy, and and I think we, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, we we will not, you know, we don't want to ignore the end user, right? Like we want to think about the person who ultimately is going to apply this into, you know, into the lives of kids, but um, but the people that are able to be with them more consistently and and to make a better and, and a more superior investment in them are are indigenous ministries and in you know indigenous churches. Um, I think the other thing too is looking for ways that, uh, and and I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit, but I think you know looking for ways to involve the church by by mobilizing resources within the church that already exist to help um, and to be effective in that in that train the trainer. Um, you know when when we look around at the churches that we have the you know, have the privilege of partnering with, there are doctors and psychologists and nurses and physical therapists and all kinds of people that, you know, there are people that are, that are vocational specialists in, you know, in a variety of things, educators, people, and, and like all of these people, um, given the right opportunity to, um, you know, to sort of hone in and and to contextualize what it is that they know and what it is that they do, um, fifty two weeks a year, can can be incredibly effective in uh, you know in that investment and in the capacity building among those who will ultimately carry off the training within their own context. And and that's that's just become a you know like a. a kind of a bedrock principle for us. Yeah, absolutely. I want to I want to mine that church that church conversation a little bit more. Um but before we do that, yeah, I just want to kind of touch on a couple things too to to follow on with what what you're talking about just with 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 the idea of 
the intentionality too. I mean, I know you guys are in the relationship. It's not just going and hanging out, right? I mean, it's it's actually intentionally right. having whether it's a curriculum, whether it's you know you know the different, <clears throat> for lack of a better term, modules that you want to make sure that they understand and are able to then go and and train up other people. You know what we're going to be creating for the organizational development, or we are creating. Uh, for the organizational development, leadership development, that we really hope you folks out there, um, whether you're in the U.S. or other parts of the world, uh, will really be able to engage what we're going to be training up on. Because it is something that is, it's important to do it in a way that isn't just one-offs. It's, it's, it's as we talk about the space repetition, where you're repeating and, and repeatedly understanding and, and studying things. I mean, think about scripture. You don't just read scripture once and then you're done. Right. I mean, you study it, you go back and you read and you memorize. And as you memorize, it internalizes. And so as with the trainings that we're doing, as with, you know, the trainings that we're doing can be part of, you know, the the uh, capacity building. I mean, obviously, there will be training in the context of equipping and capacity building. But training and capacity building and equipping are not the same things. It's the intentionality of, of, of continually teaching and training people on things so that they can internalize it and have it become part of just what they do and to follow up with them in the application of it to be able to help them understand in their particular cultures and their particular settings how you can use these principles on a daily basis rather than just having them in that theory land that we talk about a lot of the time and so that's one of the things that I'm just getting really more and more passionate about the longer I do this work because you know, we have so many people with a passion for loving children. But a lot of the ways to do it, the how of it, as far as best practices go, is often lost on a lot of people, particularly organizational best practices. Because a lot of us doing this work don't, you know, don't understand that stuff. Because we never were trained up on it. We were trained up on, you know, whatever the other areas are that we love kids, right? Mm. But we weren't trained up on how to run an organization. We weren't trained up on how to engage and, and connect with churches, right? We weren't trained up on how to fundraise. We weren't trained up on how to market, how to do all these things that you need to do to be able to have longevity as an organization, as people who can care for orphaned and vulnerable kids. Um, and, you know, we, I don't know that I wish it wasn't that way because I think in so learning these things, we also get to do so much more in the kingdom building uh, arena and be able to talk with these churches about the work that we're doing that is the core of God's heart, right? Which may not otherwise be talked about in a lot of these churches. What do you think about that? Well, I think back, yeah, I think back to a conversation that I had with Billy Chondwe, and it's been, you know, been some years ago, but, you know, Billy and I were talking about the, um, you know the investments that Western ministries had, you know, had made and were making in Africa and 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 those kinds of things. And you know, I remember just spending a lot of time dwelling over the idea that um, that that everything that's needed in order to address the orphan crisis in Africa um, is is probably already present in Africa. You know, the 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 fact is that that what we're trying to do is is we're we may be trying to bring a, a few pieces of a bit of perspective, mm-hmm. so some things to the surface, but but like the Lord has has had, like the raw materials exist there, 
and 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 what happens is and I know you see this I know you see this as as you're as you're training leaders and as you're as you're working with ministries to um, you know to grow organizationally that that when we do this kind of capacity building with indigenous ministries um, it's it's like running a relay race they they then take what has been invested in them and and they grow it and they make it better and they and they perfect it and they take it farther and and so you know really like I, I think sometimes we we're we're deluded into believing that our our job is to go you know kind of as far and as fast as we possibly can when in reality the way that we're going to get farther and the way that we're going to do this faster in in, a, in 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 many respects is by going deeper and you know and by being more intentional and when we go deeper and then those people that we've gone deeper with pay it forward we ultimately will end up running you know if if we're playing the long game we're going to end up running much further much faster um and and i think you know back to back to the interview ruby is a is a perfect example of you know of that kind of thinking and you can look into you know the the history of her career and the way that she's done that in you know in North America and then the way that they've translated that to you know to to many other countries in a in in yes a very selfless way but also just a really really effective way yep. um and and so there's man there's there's dramatically something to be learned there and i and i know that I know that's something you're passionate about. I know that's something that yep. you believe in, and that you're, you know, you're leveraging the resources of Providence in order, uh, in order to be able to do that. And and that's the way we have to think in this space. Yep, absolutely. You know, and I think it's something that it's nothing excites me more than to hear that people are taking what they're learning from, whether it's you or me or something they learned at CAFO. I mean, that's why I love the stories on this show about hearing the person that most impacted these people and the books they're reading that, that are impacting them and the different things they're learning that are impacting them because that just, that helps us because we can, we can teach each other and we can, you know, equip each other just by being in relationship with each other, you know, and then obviously once that trust is built up and we're able to continually have these conversations, the intentionality becomes um, part of that as we would in any other relationship. And I'm so thankful for the mentors and the people who have equipped me and in my life, because otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation. That's for sure. So, and you know, and I wouldn't be doing a podcast cause I wouldn't have anything to talk <laughs> about with anybody. So, um, with that, I just want to talk for a couple minutes. I mean, we don't, we, and we've already gone a little longer than, than I thought we were going to, but this is a really important conversation that Ruby kind of touched on. And, and you and I can continually talk about this throughout, and we have already talked about it a little bit. But the idea of you know, we talked, you, you touched on it with the church, but but I, I'd like to just kind of focus on right now. You and I are both in the United States, and this applies to people around the world. But I want to talk with you about how you think. And I know you've worked in the church, you've worked in seminaries, you've been a professor, you've done all kinds of different things on on all sides of this fence. Um, but, and I, I say fence very loosely, it's not a fence, but you know what I'm saying there. Um, <laughs> how can we, as the, the orphan and vulnerable child space, you know, so to speak, the organizations, the people that are passionate about it, really engage the church, the U.S. church right now, the domestic you know, U.S. church, 
to understand these issues, you know, and really understand them and engage them more and, and actually put them into action in their churches. What, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, you know, I think, um, man, that's the, I think that's a multifaceted question. I, I think, you know, I think one of the things we have to continue to do, um, evangelical churches in America, uh, we, you know, we, we tend to see ourselves as being very staunchly pro-life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we, but we've got to, we've got to enlarge the conversation, and and we've said this here before to be whole life pro-life, yep. um, you know, and and so that means that we're pro-life with, um, you know, with the with those who are struggling with you know, disadvantages and disabilities, those with vulnerabilities, the, there's no one that's, you know, there's no, no one that's too anything. You're not too old, too young, um, you know, too, too, uh, too infirmed or too successful in order for, uh, you know, to, to, to be out of the reach of the church and to be out of the reach of the gospel. And, and I think, I think also then, you know, really sending the message that, um, that that God didn't, and I think we struggle with this. God didn't ordain the parachurch, right? Um, and, and and we can you know sort of you know debate that, but but the the fact is that that the the church is not a building, it's not an institution, it's not a uh, it's not a corporation, it's not it, it's a people that 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 God has chosen to dwell within us as a people, and and as a people He has given. Just like I said, the conversation I had with Billy, that God has given us everything that we need in in order to be able to accomplish this task, and and I think you know many times the church is has has come to believe that the out the answers somehow exist outside the church. They don't they don't exist inside the church. The solutions, the capacity, and so we're looking to government, and we're looking to private foundations, and we're looking to educators and think tanks and all kinds of people. But the truth is, all of those resources exist within the church, and and if we if we really banded together and and got outside of ourselves and began to look at people the same way God looks at them as created in his image and valuable and and worthy of dignity and worthy of redemption um, it you know it would change us but but I but I think first and foremost and I think sometimes we you know we that are in 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 ministries that equip and enable the church sometimes we enable the church not to be the church we 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 do things in order to 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 bite off a segment or to work with a a coalition of the willing as as opposed to to really presenting the message that that you know Christ has said like we, we need all of the body and so you know feet and hands and eyes and you know that that there's 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 not there's not a part of the body that gets to sit on the sidelines and 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 so therefore, but it but it goes back to and and I you know I, I think it goes back to Phil the way we've done missions the way we've mobilized the church the way we've challenged um, because we've we've put that into a context and put that into a box where we've said to people there there are only a few right ways that you can do this and there are only really a few skills that are valuable and if you can't go 
you know, build a building or, um, you know, or, or ply some kind of trade or teach in a particular kind of way, then you're not valuable. When in reality, we need people who can do anything and everything to take what they do 51 other weeks a year and bring that to, to bear in building capacity, you know, in the church uh, on behalf of the vulnerable. You know, and, no, and, definitely. and so that's, I'm off my soapbox, but man, I, like, yeah. I think, I think that's, and, and until we're willing to engage in a way that, that, that we're, we're, we're willing to not settle for something less than that, um, until, until that point, I think we're going to continue to struggle and spin our wheels in many corners. No, I agree with that fully. I, I think that you and I, you know, we've talked about it a lot, and we've talked about it on the show. And I, I just think that we we do settle for too much or too too little so often. You know, as I talk about, if you shoot for mediocrity, you'll hit it almost all the time, or you'll you know you'll hit less and be satisfied with that. But if you shoot for perfection, which is what you know, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, you just might hit excellence, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, and we talk about that regularly. And I think that we settle for too little with the church. As well, we say, well, if you just start, if you just do an orphan Sunday, we're good. Or if you just, you know, start a, you know, an adoption fund, good job. Now we're done. As opposed to, you know, this is the core of God's heart. And, you know, if you're a Christian, this will be something that you care about at some level. It just is. If you really understand what you believe, right? Like there's no... There's no two ways about it. Not to be afraid of that. Like, that's just truth. But again, that's a whole different issue. We'll, we'll talk more about and, this. And, yeah. and, and trusting that God yeah. has, has, has delivered into our hands. He's given us the skills and the talents and the abilities and the knowledge and the resources and everything that we need in, in, order, to, in order to be able to accomplish that goal. Um, and, and, but if everybody doesn't come and bring you know, what they have and, and what they can do, then... We're we're not going to get there. Absolutely. All right. Well, that uh, that's just a teaser of some conversations yet to come. If you have some thoughts on that, which I know you do, folks, why don't you uh, send them our way so we can uh, we can engage them a little bit more and y- your questions and your comments specifically in future episodes. I, I really hope that we can do that. So really quickly, I'm going to do a couple recommendations because I I just I'm excited about these. The first one is called Longing for Revival. It's it's written by one of my great friends in this world, Ryan Pfeiffer, and, and, and his great friend, James Chung, who I haven't had the ability to, to meet, but I, I just know he's a great guy based on this book. So um, strongly recommended. I have a, a recommendation on, on Amazon. It's not some cryptic handle. It's just Phil Dark, so you can check it out if you want to see what I wrote about this book. But I strongly recommend it, Longing for Revival. Um, it talks about some of the things we just talked about with the church as well. Um, and then just a totally different, uh, animal that's a movie called Knives Out, just a fun movie. Um, it's of the (laughs) clue variety, nothing to do with, uh, orphan care. Um, there might be some sort of fatherless issue or something in the movie if I dug deep enough, but, um, it's just a fun movie that, uh, it, yeah, it'll keep you, keep you guessing too. There's just some, just a, just a good time that I was able to have with my wife on our anniversary watching that movie. So wanted to throw that out there for you, but 
you know, first and foremost, most importantly, I know this was a little bit longer than we normally go, but there's some really important issues and conversations that we were able to have. And I just, I just do pray and, and just hope that you can take all that you've learned through Ruby, you know, first and foremost, Ruby, and then what Rick and I were able to just chat about here, that you can take it all and use it to help you understand how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.